Please back up at page 620 at this small part of Psalm 119. Um, if you're confused, I think I said last week with my Scottish accent, I can't pronounce Sam in an English way, so you'll just, Sam is P-S-A-L-M to me. And if you're someone who likes to take notes to help you think things through as we go along, you should have a little uh, sheet there with just an outline for the talk tonight. If that's helpful, then please uh, do use that to make some notes. But we're in uh, Psalm, Psalm 119. I get confused now. Um, these few verses, we'll look at them together. Well, um, I'm told it was heartbreaking for many. I'm told it was heartbreaking for many, not the news of my engagement. Um, The, the cheap jokes are the best ones, aren't they? <clears throat> and by the way, if you have stolen a church as well, do bring that back uh, as well next week. Um, and what was heartbreaking was the 13th of February 1996. I'm sure you'll remember it. Take that, the pop group split up. The emotion of it all. The Samaritan's phone line rang off the hook. Girls cried in the street. Bedrooms echoed with fans sobbing their way through all their favourite Take That anthems. Relight my fire. Pray the other ones that they probably sang. <laughs> but thankfully, uh, the boys are back for good. And all it required from true fans was a little patience. Um, songs, songs, even naff ones, seem able to generate emotion or at least give an outlet for them. Uh, God has made us emotional, hasn't he? Uh, and it's, oh, albeit in different ways... Some display emotion in extremes, the highs and lows. If that's you, you're like the, the kind of emotional equivalent of a, a Labrador jumping everywhere all the time. Others of us seem more uh, reserved. Uh, you need to get to know us a little uh, to notice when we're excited or, or slightly troubled. It's hard to spot. But we are all emotional. And it's right to express emotion. So that's why we've been, was part of the reason we've been thinking last weekend and tonight about songs for troubled hearts. And tonight, tonight it's, it's what to sing when the church has gone mad. Last week we thought about what to sing when the world's gone mad. Tonight, what to sing when, when the church has gone mad. And by that, I don't mean uh, the vicar producing his own newspaper just to get his picture on the front page. Not, not that kind of madness. Not even the news that uh, certain church families seem to think a good idea of a party is to put a number of small children in the same room as an eight-foot boa constrictor and see what happens. <laughs> if you are visiting, before you think something really weird is going on, then please pick up a copy of that newspaper that Paul mentioned. All will be explained there. Uh, but they're just the, the ordinary kind of run-of-the-mill mad things that happen. Uh, they don't really trouble our hearts. And no, I, I'm thinking more of, well, things like this, when you hear of church leaders claim that the Bible's view of sex is outdated, and you start to feel a bit confused. And more than that, it, it makes it difficult for you to keep affirming, maybe to friends that aren't Christians, uh, keep affirming that, that Christians do believe the Bible when church leaders seem to undermine it. Or when well-known church leaders, leaders like Steve Chalk, who is very influential in all sorts of circles, writes, writes a book denying basic truths about what it means to be a Christian. There's going to be a little article about the book in, in Church Family News. Please do read it. Or when you hear of other Christians, for example, the member of St. Mark's Broomhill, who gave a talk for students where he said, Jesus is not the only way to God. 
And you meet Christian students from that group who will say they don't believe in heaven, that Jesus wasn't perfect, and that the Bible isn't true. And you hear those things and you find it hard to believe. But it just sounds mad. And what do you think when you pick up Thursday's edition of The Times and you see this little headline, Police Investigate Church Faction Plot. You read about Canon Rodney Hunter, a Bible-believing missionary. He's 73 years old, worked most of his life in Malawi. He'd opposed the appointment of a new bishop to Central Africa. Uh, the man in question was a vicar from London. Uh, the vicar, a vicar who didn't believe the Bible. He doesn't think Jesus' death deals with God's anger or our sin. Uh, Canon Hunter opposed that. Canon Hunter, 73 years old, was physically attacked in, in the pulpit by supporters of the appointment because he stuck to the Bible. Isn't that mad? A 73-year-old man had beaten up in the pulpit. He was killed last November. Poisoned. That's what the police are investigating. What do you sing when the church has gone mad? When so-called Christians and even leaders within the church do things like that? What words could give expression to your emotion? Well, how about these words from Psalm 119? Sing, I hate the double-minded. I hate the double-minded. And by double-minded, our psalmist means the kind of person who claims to believe in God, but is really only, only a believer when it suits them. Someone who will say, oh yeah, I want to live for God, but when push comes to shove, they'll ignore his word. I hate the double-minded. And perhaps it's not the song you were hoping for. It's not one by take that, is it? it? And it's not the kind of song that takes your mind off your problems. It's actually the kind of song that gets you to really feel how you feel. A song you can get your teeth into. It's a strong feeling, isn't it? Hate. It's strong language, especially directed at another person. Perhaps you're wondering if it's, if it's right for a Christian to talk like that. For a Christian to feel like that. I think the psalm is telling us it is. You might be here tonight and you're a new Christian. Maybe you come through Christianity Explored and you've just been loving all you've found out about God. His love for you and Jesus the security of his care, as you've trusted him, you've been beginning to adopt his values in the way you live. Well, part of that will be learning to hate the things he hates. That makes sense, doesn't it? Well, you might be saying, well, you see, David, I'm just not the kind of person who could hate anyone or anything. Well, if that's you, you are ungodly. And you need to change. The trouble with us is that when we hate things, we often get ugly, don't we? We often hate things because of prejudice, or arrogance, or fear. It's usually illogical. But God's hatred is never like that. God hates things that are wrong. And we're to hate the things he hates. And not in some kind of mechanical way. Because if we're part of his family, if we share and receive the same spirit, if the whole of our lives are lived for God, 
we should start to feel it too. God's life should work out in our emotions. I hate the double-minded. It's odd talking about hating when we don't feel it ourselves, but just have a look at what the psalmist has in mind. See if we can at least understand why he feels uh, this strongly. Uh, The big theme in in Psalm 119 is God's word in all its various forms, and and the psalmist wants to show us what happens when he gets around the double-minded. And I think he's saying something like this. The double-minded make me feel lost and insecure. Verses 113 and 114. I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. It's a strange thing to say, isn't it? I love the law. I expect you wouldn't say that. But here's why, with God, we should. In Psalm 119, God's law is pictured as giving direction. Back in verse 1, you can look at it later. And it's pictured in verse 61 as giving freedom. I don't know if you've ever got lost when you're driving. Uh, It can be very frustrating, especially when you're on your own so there's no one else to blame. You ever done that? You just get lost. I don't know where I am. But if you've got one of these satellite navigation things, I've not got one of them. I've got like a stack of A to Zs that seem rubbish now. But if if you've got one of these satellite navigation things, you're okay. I I find all this sat-nav stuff slightly scary but incredible. Wherever you are, you know this. Most of you have probably got them. Wherever you are, it'll pinpoint you knows exactly where you are, doesn't it? And it, somehow when it speaks, when you switch it on and the voice comes out, somehow when it speaks, it seems to speak right into your situation. And it will say something useful. Turn left in 500 metres. It might not seem earth-shattering when it says that. Turn left 500 metres. In fact, sometimes it feels like it contradicts your own sense of direction. Because it will tell you to turn around completely. But you start to listen to that calm little voice. You'll do okay. What a liberating thing when you're driving. That voice in the car that tells you the right way to go. Well, God's law, Psalm 119 says, is a bit like that in our lives. It gives you direction. And as you start to take it on board, it might not seem earth-shattering stuff all the time. Or it might even seem at times like... He's telling you to go in the opposite direction to the one you were going in before you were a Christian. But as you begin to build your life on those directions, you start to feel, I know where I'm going. If you're a Christian, can you recognize that? Maybe you've only been a Christian for a little while. Have you started to notice that yet? Perhaps you became a Christian and God's word on relationships have been opposite to what you used to think. Sex is for marriage. You should consider carefully who you give yourself to. But you've been following God's word. And you've noticed you're starting to feel a bit more secure. You actually know now what you're looking for in a relationship. It's hard to trust sometimes, isn't it? But it's getting easier for you. And it's good. Or maybe you're a student coming up to graduation, you're nervous about the next stage of life, but you've been encouraged because you've just realised how God has been shaping your priorities. You hadn't noticed it until you started to think about what you might like to do next year. And although you're nervous, you're beginning to know how to think about life. It's like the sat-nav of God's word has been speaking to you at church, at Lighthouse, 
in your one-to-ones and see you, you hadn't quite realized. You still have doubts, but not quite the way you used to have. See, the double-minded, they never stick seriously with God's word, always acting like it doesn't matter if you follow or not. And actually, when you're tempted to ignore a bit of God's word, you start to think, maybe I should listen to them. Why would you want to do that? Verse 114. Here where he says, God, you are my refuge and my shield. I have put my hope in your word. You understand what he's saying? Everything God says is concerned with keeping you safe. The double-minded will in the end make you feel lost and insecure because they tempt you to stop trusting God. The words seem plausible, but they'll distort and ignore God's word and give you nothing of lasting value. I should hate that people do that. It should make me mad. And when you're troubled by people like that, sing, I hate the double-minded. See, it's the kind of song that reminds you what you need to do. It's the kind of song that builds up your resolve, that builds up an emotional head of steam to do the right thing. And it spills out of the psalmist in verse 115, the only verse he addresses to someone other than God. Here's what he says, Away from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commands of my God. Can I ask, how do you feel about people in the church who distort and confuse God's word? Not just what do you think about it. How do you feel about it? If you don't feel anything, then it might be good to think about the words of this song. It's not wrong to want to encourage your resolve to love God's law and keep his commands. Um, I love New Year. I know we're nowhere near New Year, but I was just thinking about it. I love New Year, staying up late, visiting friends, playing games. It kind of sounds like my life all the time, sort of. And singing songs at New Year. You tend to sing Old Lang Syne, don't you? Do you sing Old Lang Syne at New Year? But when you hear most people sing it, it, it goes something like this. I hate singing, but I'm going to do it for you anyway. Um, my singing is pretty atrocious. But I, I find when you get around people that sing Old Lang Syne, especially at New Year, it, it goes a bit like this. Should old acquaintance be forgot? Na 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 old lang syne hey nobody remembers the words do they that's kind of the way it goes just shoving a lot of na na na's and what does it matter it's kind of a good emotional sing along song isn't it Psalm 119 is not a song like that it's not something that's just good to sing because it lets you get your emotions out. No, it's important that you learn all the words of this song. Because we might want to sing, I hate the double-minded. But while you're singing, remember a couple of things. See, it's easy for emotions to get carried away, especially strong emotions. Which is why this next part is really interesting. It's almost as if our writer catches himself. So he stops speaking to the double-minded and he starts talking to God again. In fact, you realize that he's he started to pray because he seems to have remembered a couple of things. And the first of the two is this. We need grace more than we need firm resolve. 
Remember learning to drive? Those of you who can drive three-point turns, parallel parking. Some of you who are a bit older, it was probably double declutching and signalling with your arms out of the window. <laughs> You're laughing because you know it's true, aren't you? <laughs> I, I was thinking about this as well. I, I remember one day when I was learning to, to drive in Derbyshire, I thought I was doing okay, really excited about how good I was, getting a bit full of myself, my driving, feeling good, instructor there, until I realised I'd stopped on a hill and I hadn't put the brakes on. And then I did remember this. I sat slightly baffled as to why the car wasn't rolling back because the brakes weren't on. I thought it was some kind of miracle. Um, and then I remembered the instructor has dual controls. In my enthusiasm, I quickly forgot who was really in control of the car. And can I say, there's lots of dodgy things in the church. And it's right that we feel strongly about them. It's right that we resolve to stand against it. But it's easy for all that emotion to distort things just enough so that we don't really see clearly. And to think that we are completely okay and all we need to do is get emotionally charged and we'll take on the world. You come across some Christians like that, infectious with their enthusiasm, and it's brilliant. It's just that after a while you start to notice their confidence is built mainly on their own enthusiasm. They'll talk more about what they want to achieve for God rather than understanding what God needs to do for them. Watch out for that attitude. See, our psalmist catches himself and he remembers just in time we need grace more than we need firm resolve. And if we're honest, our resolve is often not that good anyway, is it? When, when it comes to double-minded men who hinder me, a lot of the time I'm perfectly happy to be hindered. And while God's law may give wonderful direction, there's another aspect of his word that I need, verse 116. You see what he says? Sustain me according to your promise. These aren't the words of firm resolve, are they? This is a prayer for grace. God, keep me safe. My dad went to sea in 1944. He was 16. He told me, his girlfriend at the time said, I'll wait for you forever. He came home after three months. She'd got someone new. He told me, I know it's very sad, but then he met my mum, so that was all right. He, but I remember him saying to me, he said he always thought forever was a little bit longer than that. <laughs> Coming up to Mother's Day early in the year, I bet you, like me, were watching Lorraine Kelly in the morning to try and get some tips for presents. My favourite from Marks and Spencer's was the eternal bouquet, so-called because it would last for five weeks. <laughs> I remember thinking, permanence is not what it used to be, is it? The eternal bouquet, five weeks. In verse 117, our psalmist refers to God's decrees. And the sense of that word there, talking about God's word that way, the sense of it is, is their permanence. They are constant. Like they're engraved on stone. And the plea of the psalmist is to be permanent like them. To always have regard for them. Not like the double-minded. And so let me ask you, what, what's your permanence like with God? How long do you manage to keep doing what he says? Permanently? Three months? Five weeks? We need grace more than we need firm resolve. Verse 117. Uphold me, God, and I will be delivered. 
It can be easy in a big church like Fullwood, can't it, to forget that we need to pray like that for grace. Desperate for grace, just to keep us. And it's funny how in your mind one thought can lead to another. As you look at this part of the psalm, you start to trace the effect on our writer as he begins to think about grace. A grace here, I kind of was thinking about this, it almost seems like a positive infection, if you can have one of those. It starts to spread around and infect all his thinking. But it leads the psalmist to remember something surprising, I think. And it's kind of this. We ought to feel scared of God too. It's an odd thing for grace to do. I don't know if you've read uh, the Narnia stories. I imagine most of you have. I, I love the bit in the Prince Caspian book where Lucy meets Aslan for the first time in the book. After she's embraced him, she says, Aslan, you've grown. You've grown. And he replies that he's neither bigger nor older. He's not changed in any way. But that every year Lucy grows, he will seem bigger. As she revisits the unchanging Aslan again and again, in a sense, she comes back to the same point. In a sense, nothing's changed, but in a way, it has changed. And in verses 118 to 120, it's almost as if with grace clearer in his mind, a writer revisits his thoughts at the beginning of the psalm. They're kind of the same, or just bigger. Do you remember verse 115? He wanted to be separated from the evildoers. A separation is still there in verse 118. It's just a much bigger separation. You see it? You, God, reject all who stray from your decrees. See, it's not just the psalmist. One day God will finally distance himself from everyone who rejects him. Their lives are vain. They'll count for nothing. It's a really sobering thought, isn't it? And verse 114, do you remember? He told us that God was his refuge and shield. It's just that now in verse 119, the importance of it seems so much bigger. All the wicked of the earth you discard as dross. And I don't think our psalmist is being arrogant here. These aren't the words of a man laughing at the lost. This is the voice of a man who's realizing that apart from grace, he would be one of them. God would be within his rights to discard him. No wonder, he says, therefore I love your statutes. All the wicked of the earth you discard as dross, therefore I love your statutes. I love them because they offer me a way of escape. They speak of a gracious God who is able to save people like us. How does that make you feel? What does that do for your emotions? Uh, To know that we were that close to judgment? A hair's breath away, but God snatched you back? Uh, When you think of how close you've come to wandering away from God's rescue, when we think in these terms, it's the kind of thing that could make us feel more than a little scared. Our psalmist certainly does in verse 120. See what he says? My flesh trembles in fear of you. Literally, it it makes my flesh creep. It's a scary thing. And don't get me wrong, it's it's not the kind of scare that makes you want to run away from God. It's the kind of scare that makes you want to stick very close to him. To listen very carefully 
I stand in awe of your laws. And we're almost back at the start of the psalm again, aren't we? You see just how serious it is for the double-minded to reject God and confuse others. The thought of being left facing God's judgment is terrifying for them and for those they confuse. And Psalm 119 should speak even more clearly to us who are able to see fully God's gracious rescue in Jesus. No wonder Jude, in our second reading, tells us to pray for grace and firm up our resolve. You don't need to turn to it. Let me just read it to you. Here's what he says. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Firm resolve. I'm praying for grace. So what do you sing when the church has gone mad? Sing, I hate the double-minded and keep praying for grace for us and even for them. Maybe that will shape your prayers this week. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this uh, small part of your word. Thank you that it gives voice to our feelings, uh, frustrated by things that go on around us. It's sometimes right to feel we hate things. But please, as we're doing that, Lord God, please would you help us to remember grace and to cling on to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you take hold of your uh, service sheet again? We're going to sing our, our final hymn.